Hello, 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 and welcome to the bonus part of today's FYI episode. First of all, thank you, thank you, thank you so much to all of you guys who are supporting me on Patreon. I hope you're enjoying the content, and of course, since you have access to me, if you have any questions, suggestions, or anything like that, please let me know. I would love to hear from you. In fact, uh, I love that our community is growing, but another thing I love too is that it's still small and enough where I can talk to each of you individually. So thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you. You know who you are. Thank you so much for supporting the work I do. I really appreciate it. And anytime I can, I'm going to give you guys free stuff and well, access to whatever I can. All right. So I said we were going to talk about a few things here in the first part. And I left you hanging. Os dejé ahí como colgando, no? Like, oh, All right, so let's start with this predecessor. Remember I said there was a predecessor to the Kindle, to the e-reader, whatever you want to call it, and it was from Spain? That's right, a Spanish invention from 1949. Now, the e-reader is fairly new, para usar esa palabra otra vez, fairly, and the Kindle by Amazon, all this stuff is new. Well, in 1949, a Spanish inventor, a writer and teacher named Angela Ruiz Robles. Robles is oaks in English, si estamos hablando del árbol. Well, she patented this thing called Encyclopedia, te lo pronuncio en inglés, Encyclopedia Mecánica, que vosotros evidentemente diríais Encyclopedia Mecánica. And this was the predecessor to our modern e-reader. But you're saying what? We weren't even in the digital age yet. Yeah, but Angela Ruiz Robles was ahead of her time, as we say in English. It used mechanics, electrics, and air pressure to display text and images. Angela said, yeah, well, you know, I want to be able to read my book, but I don't want to carry around Cervantes and Don Quixote because it's pretty heavy. It's a great book, but it's pretty heavy, isn't it? As I said, it used pressurized air, and it even had a zoom function. Esto es buena. To zoom in es acercar, and to zoom out es alejar. We use those a lot now. So readers could zoom in and focus on specific parts of the text. I mean, she was really on the ball, espabilada. She also had some prototypes, prototipos. Uh, one of them had a reading light, a calculator, and sound. So move over Kindle. The Encyclopedia Mecánica was way before that. And you want to know something? Especially for our listeners in Spain, you can see this device. It is in the National Museum of Science and Technology in La Coruña, Spain. So pretty cool. I had no idea. Spain, we've got a lot of predecessors. Juan de la Cierva, and he had the the auto gyro, which was the, the predecessor to the helicopter, the modern helicopter, o como le llamamos, chopper. Es otra forma de decir helicóptero. And little did I know, yo no lo sabía, that the predecessor to the Kindle was none other than a Spanish writer and teacher turned inventor named Angela Ruiz 
Robles. So thank you, Angela, for being light years ahead of your time. We're going to have to book a trip up to La Coruña just to see this amazing contraption. Now let's take a look at the longest novel. The longest novel ever written. Let's take a look at that too. Write, wrote, written. It's an irregular verb. Every day I write books. Yesterday I wrote books. And lately I've written. Be careful. I've heard many people mispronounce it and say writen. It's written. So the world's longest novel ever written is called Remembrance of Things Past by Marcel Proust. You want me to try and say the French for Okay, just just for a laugh, para reírnos. A la recherche de tombe perdue. <laughs> yeah. I think we're going to stick with uh, Remembrance of Things Past. How many characters are there in this? Well, when I say characters here, I'm not talking about personajes, que también es characters. Estoy hablando de caracteres. So how many characters are there in this book? 9,609,000. Write that down just to see if you got that little number lesson we did before. 9,609,000. ¿Has escrito 9,609? Coma, cero, cero, cero. That's the correct answer. Remember, don't use decimal points. Use commas in English where you would normally put a point in Spanish. So yeah, not words. Let's not mix things up here. De hecho, I don't want to mince my words. Me encanta esta expresión. No, Quiero que mis palabras sean claras. I don't want to mince my words. The novel doesn't have 9,609,000 words. It has 9,609,000 characters, which means spaces, commas, hyphen, a hyphen is un guillón. So all that stuff counts as well. But that is the longest novel. Now, the longest sentence in a novel is one that belongs to Victor Hugo. You guys know him from Les Miserables, very famous novelist, Victor Hugo, French novelist. And in fact, the line is from Les Miserables. There is a sentence... Right? You can say a sentence or a phrase. Phrase is con PH, right? No con F. There's a sentence which has 123 words in it. O se puede decir, it contains 823 words. I mean, we call that in English a run-on sentence. A run-on sentence is a sentence that really should be three sentences. <laughs> That's the simple uh, explanation over there. I don't know about you guys, but I like the smell of new cars. In general, I like the smell of new things. And if you're like me, then you also like the smell of new books. You're not alone. Don't worry. There's help. <laughs> well, there are so many people who share this love for new book smell that there's actually a word for it. It's called bibliosmia. Yeah, and it's actually pretty common. Don't tell me you don't like the smell of new books. Now, we're going to learn another new word as well. And when I say we, I mean myself. I didn't know this word either. But I've had this feeling where I've been at like, you know, a summer home or visiting someone and they don't have a lot of reading material. And I say, well, what am I going to read? Now, with our phones, we don't have that problem because you just refresh and you refresh and you keep having things to read. But let's be honest, you can't compare reading a book or a novel, or as I said in the beginning, getting lost in a book or a novel with reading an article or a tweet. 
Let's not mince our words para usar esa expresión de antes. Let's not mince our words. I'm talking about real reading here, guys, not reading tweets. Well, the fear of running out of, to run out of, es quedarse sin. The fear of running out of something to read is called a bibliophobia. A bibliophobia. It's a real thing, folks. Can you believe it? I think I suffered from it. Now I'm lucky. I, where I live, I have a lot of books. And, well, you know, with Kindles, with e-readers, I don't think this is, this has to be a thing anymore, at least. Now, what are the most banned books in the United States. Well, you're going to be surprised here. It's not the Satanic Bible. Nope. It's not some controversial sex book or something like that. Nope. Nope. It's Harry Potter. What? Yep. Harry Potter, the most banned, you could say prohibited, pero es como mucho más palabra, ¿no? So we say banned. It rolls off your tongue. Fluye mejor. It rolls off your tongue. So the most banned books in the United States are the Harry Potter books. I know. I was in shock myself when I found out. And we were talking about spells before in the program. A spell es un hechizo. Well, that's the reason. Some associations or some groups have said that these books promote witchcraft and they set bad examples for kids who are going to go out there and perform these spells and they're going to become little sorcerers. And I just have to laugh. Hey, I'm, you know, I appreciate all causes, but I was truly in shock when I found out that the most banned book in the United States was Harry Potter and not like the anarchist's cookbook. ¿Sabéis lo que es eso? Do you know what that is? The anarchist's cookbook is a book that a guy made which teaches you how to make bombs and things like that. And it teaches you how to make weapons, armas. I thought that was going to be the answer. But no, it's Harry Potter Poor, innocent little Harry Potter. Speaking of Harry Potter, I love the story. I'm not a big Harry Potter fan. In fact, you want me to be honest? I haven't seen the movies and I haven't read the books. But I'm a fan of the author's story. I love the story of J.K. Rowling's life and how she got that book published by hook or by crook, see or see. She took it to 12 different publishers. We said publishers are editoriales. 12 different publishers. And they all turned her down. To turn down is bajar el volumen, pero en este caso es rechazar. They turned her down. They said, nah, this is crap. This is not good. Sorry, we're not interested. Maybe they didn't say it was crap, caca, but they weren't interested. And I bet now they're kicking themselves. Se están dando patadas a ellos mismos. <laughs> Como decimos. Eventually, Bloomsbury, which is the publisher, they accepted, but 12 times. So what's the lesson that we can learn from J.K. Rowling there? You gotta keep going back. If you get knocked down, si te tiran al suelo, you gotta dust yourself off, quitarte el polvo, and get back up again. That's the only choice you got. La única elección que tienes. And J.K. Rowling is a perfect example of that. She didn't give up, no se dio por vencida, and she got her book published by hook or by crook. But that wasn't the end of her struggles, sus luchas. She had many, many struggles. As I said, I'm more of a fan, sorry Harry Potter fans, but I'm more of a fan of J.K. Rowling's tale, para usar la palabra cuento que usamos antes, I'm more a fan of J.K. Rowling's tale than Harry Potter's tale. It's true. She had to adopt a pseudonym, right? A pseudonym. So sometimes somebody writes a book 
and they have a pseudonym, right? A different name, a pen name, we also say, which is different than a ghost writer, right? A ghost writer writes your book as if they were you, right? I think you say negro, ghost writer. But this is a little bit different. This is a little bit different. So he said, this publisher, he said that it sounded like a boy's book and that he believed that boys would prefer to read a male author than a female author. So she was forced to use those initials, J.K. Rowling, which if you don't see who she is, you don't know if it's a man or a woman. So imagine that. If J.K. Rowling had given up and she even had to compromise her name. She had to change her name, but she did it. And now she seems like uh, she's doing okay. But wow, it's not always easy to succeed. In fact, many people who have succeeded, han tenido éxito, are people who uh, have worked hard and they haven't given up. I think you got to mix those two things. You have to work hard, but then you can't give up in a year. You have to keep going. And I wanted to take a moment, too, to talk about some other writers and authors. Because, sure, being a writer, it's not an easy thing. Writing for pleasure is fine. But the moment your publisher says, you owe me 500 words, me debes 500 palabras, or dos pages, whatever it is, it's a job, like any other job. And you have to sit down at that computer or that typewriter, Máquina de escribir, we say a typewriter. If you still have one of those, I'm going to call you Stephen King. <laughs> so what happens to writers when they get writer's block? Writer's block is que no se les ocurre nada para escribir. They get writer's block. A writer or an author, we can say as well. A novelist. There are different ways to call writers, but it also depends on what kind of writing you're doing. We don't call a screenwriter an author or a novelist, right? Because a screenwriter is guionista para películas. So they're all in the category of writers, but then there are different kinds, authors, novelists. And so what do these people do when they're in a rut, when they can't find the right words, when they have writer's block? Well, they do a lot of different things. Uh, Dan Brown, the writer of The Da Vinci Code, his cure for writer's block is hanging upside down. That's right. You heard me correctly. Colgando boca abajo. Yeah, Dan Brown, when he can't think of what to write, he goes, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go hang out for a little bit. Nunca mejor dicho. To hang out is estar de tranquis, pero en su caso, es, <laughs> it's like a bat. So Dan Brown, I didn't know that. I got to say, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Dan Brown fan. His books were page turners. Page turners que sigues pasando la página. Es muy buena. It's a page turner. So it works for him. He says that, uh, you know, he hangs upside down. Then he does some push-ups, unas flexiones, some sit-ups, abdominales, and he stretches every hour. That's very important. As somebody who has written four books, it's very important to stretch because sometimes you can just be sitting for hours and we know how important posture is. Tu postura. Vamos a pronunciarlo juntos. Posture. It's so important. Other writers have said that they find inspiration when they're horizontal, when they're lying down. Yeah, they said it's the best way to get their creative juices flowing, as we say. And some of those writers who use that quote-unquote 
technique, entre parentheses, technique is Mark Twain, one of the most famous American writers ever, Mark Twain. George Orwell, the writer of 1984, An Animal Farm. Woody Allen, screenwriter, Woody Allen. He writes a lot of his screenplays, screenplay as guion de película, lying down. That's not a bad thing to do. In fact, we have an idiom in English is, if you're lying down on the job, you're not doing anything. You're not doing your job. But these guys, they swear by it. Juran que es la única forma. They have to lie down on the job to get inspiration. That's crazy. But not everybody likes lying down. In fact, uh, writers such as Hemingway, Charles Dickens, and Virginia Woolf, three amazing writers, no, they didn't uh, lie down. Not on the job. Not when they were working. In fact, they didn't even sit down. No, 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 no. They stand up. Esto es un verbo irregular. Stand, stood, stood. So, en pasado, they stood up. So, some lie down, some stand up, and then there's Dan Brown who hangs upside down. <laughs> Unbelievable. But hey, there's no wrong way to write, is there? I don't think so, as long as you get the inspiration you're looking for. And speaking of, how could we talk about books, literature, writing, without bringing up, mencionando, Shakespeare. Ajitas cerveza. Yeah, Shakespeare. He shakes beer. El ajita cerveza. <laughs> okay, I know, I know, bad joke. But Shakespeare, William Shakespeare, old Bill, as I call him. I've got to say, I'm not a huge fan, and I don't even recommend his works to my students because the English you're going to learn would be the equivalent of reading Cervantes nowadays, hoy en día. It's not the language that's being used, but we can't take anything away from William Shakespeare. There are so many idioms, expressions, and words that are in common use today thanks to old Bill. That's right. In a while, en un ratín. That's... Shakespeare coined that, acuñó esa palabra, in a while. Fair play. You know the one we hear with football, with soccer, with sports, fair play? Shakespeare, thanks Shakespeare. Una que uso yo siempre, all of a sudden, de repente. All of a sudden, that's Shakespeare who coined that one. A night owl. This is another one. Un búho de noche, que literalmente es un búho de noche, pero a night owl is somebody who likes to be out at night. They're more active at night. I'm a morning person. I used to be a night owl. So, so many phrases and words that Shakespeare has given us. In fact, the prefix un, you know this prefix? Uncomfortable, unaware, unreal. Thank you, Shakespeare. As I said, I don't like him for personal reasons because I was told that if I'm an actor, I have to like Shakespeare. And you guys know me. I'm a rebel. Don't tell me what I have to like. <laughs> I was a young kid, so I, I rebelled. All right, guys, and before we get going, I want to give you a couple more idioms just to set you on your way. And you say in Spanish, voy a devorar este libro. Now, you could say that. I'm going to devour this book. But another way we could say it, and it's similar to something you say in Spanish, is hincar el diente. When you get my books, if you do get my books, I know you're thinking, Alberto, I can't wait to sink my teeth into them. 
to sink your teeth into a book es hincarle el diente, to really enjoy it, all right? And the last idiom we're going to look at is also something that comes from reading. We looked at the word page. A page es una página. Pero también decían la palabra leaf, como hoja. So, pasar página o empezar de nuevo is to turn over a new leaf. To turn over a new leaf says that you're going to make a change and you're going to start fresh. So, I hope you guys, to use both of them in context, I hope you sink your teeth into one of my books and I hope you turn over a new leaf on your English adventure. Thank you so much for joining us for the bonus part of today's FYI. Hang on, hang on. Bring that music back in. How could I forget about my amigos? Special thanks to Augusto Hernandez for the song, Souvenir. Also, my amigo Nacho for lending me his voice and expertise in editing. Now, the show is officially over. See you next week. Tengo que reconocer que pudo